Well, this is like a homecoming for Martha and I. We've been coming back and forth to Georgetown for over 30 years. Our mother and father were members here. They were welcomed by you all, and Georgetown has a First Church of Georgetown has a wonderful history of welcoming in strangers and making them part of the family. So uh, we're very happy to be here. Uh, all invited to come back to Mexico, we're planning a mission trip coming, uh, I think, in 2024, 2023. Uh, but you don't have to wait that long. We have space and opportunities for everybody. There are many uh, Christian schools, Presbyterian schools in Mexico or in Central America, and they're always looking for English and math teachers. And so if you'd like to volunteer for that, welcome to come. Uh, Mexico is a, is a big mission field. It's maybe 150, 60 million people there. And some people ask, well, do we need Protestant missionaries? It's, well, roughly 10% of the country is Protestant, 40% are Catholic, and half the country is unchurched. So there are a lot of, lot of space for, for missionaries to work in, and uh, we don't bump into each other because it's just such a big field. Uh, Mexican Presbyterian Church started in 1872, and the first ministries were usually schools for girls because at that time they weren't educating any girls and, and hospitals. So that was the, the Presbyterians. They were building hospitals and schools uh, as in many places. Some of those are still working today. Uh, and Again, medical professionals are welcome to go down. And in our city, in Merida, we have a, a Presbyterian medical hospital. Valladolid has one. Cancun has one. So the Presbyterians have built uh, much, I don't know how many, but I would say several dozen uh, hospitals in Mexico and hundreds of schools. So it's a, it's a wonderful ministry. There are over 2 million Presbyterians in Mexico. And they're divided into 63 presbyteries, and there's nine presbyteries that don't speak Spanish. So they're indigenous presbyteries that speak Chol or Nahual or uh, Tojolabal or something like that, languages that you're probably not familiar with, but they work very well for the people that speak them. And uh, they preach the word. They have the, the, the whole Bible in their different languages, and they conduct their presbytery meetings, and go about their work in, in their own indigenous language. For Mexico, the church planning process is a three-step. Uh, anybody can start a mission. That's the basic level. If you, have, if you live someplace and there's no Presbyterian church, uh, you can start a Presbyterian church in your living room. And that, as you gather people together for that, uh, maybe we get to 15, 20 people, you can form a congregation. A congregation has a treasurer and a, and a uh, president. And when they get to 60 people and you train the elders, then you can become a church, una iglesia, and you're part of a presbytery. So it's a, it's a lay-led uh, mission ministry. And Martha and I have been through that process where you start with a a little house church and then go to the congregation and through the to a whole church where they can call a full-time pastor five different times. Um, so it, it works very well. Uh, I know you all have been church planners too, uh, reached out and helped other churches uh, in this area. So it's a, it's a wonderful way to, to grow the church. And today's passage is uh, 
and it's interesting because it, it's very specific. The Gospel of Luke is, is, is written by a Gentile, and he's very practical. St. Luke has uh, got lots of practical information about how to do things. Uh, in this particular passage, uh, he's telling us how we're going to do missions. And all missions is cross-cultural work. We're going from the kingdom of God, which we're invited to live in as Christians, and we're going to people who don't live in the Christian of God and trying to say, hey, listen, come join us. This kingdom that we are a part of is a wonderful place to live. And so that's what mission work is, is cross-cultural missions. And Jesus is going to show us um, in this passage just to what links or what extent he's willing to go to cross over cultural boundaries. He's willing to break lots of rules in order to get the message to people uh, around him. Remember that Israel at that time was not just Jewish people. They'd been invaded left and right, up and down uh, over centuries. Uh, the Hellenists were there, the Romans were there, um, the original uh, Philistines and Canaanites were still around, uh, the Samaritans were there. So, I mean, there was, it was a very cross-cultural place. And Jesus wants to break out of the little Jewish community and get the word out to everyone. And that's what this passage today is about. And start saying, after this, the Lord approved 70 others, appointed 70 others. Now, 70 may be a reference to Moses uh, appointing 70 elders, but more likely it's just a way of saying this is a big deal. It's important. Jesus wants this to happen. It's the heart of the church, sending people out to teach the gospel to different places different places. He's got a core group of 12, but he's got a whole lot of other helpers uh, who are going out to teach. There's 70. And so that's, uh, it gives us an idea of the emphasis that Jesus wanted to put on this. Um, and so we go from there, and he says that he wants to send them out two by two. We're going to find uh, this passage has about 12 steps, 13 steps about how to do this. And the second one is two by two. And some people think, well, that's maybe for safety. Well, uh, it could be. It's, you're safer if you go two by two in different places. But in the Jewish community, to talk um, to a judge, to bear witness, uh, this guy cheated me, this guy told me a lie, and I want you to fix it, you needed to have two witnesses, two eyewitnesses. And so when Jesus sends out two by two, he's sending out people who will confer or confirm each other and say, I saw Jesus do this. I heard Jesus say that. And he's going to send them out that way so that they can be um, bona fide witnesses to what, what they're talking about. So that's, that's the two by two. He keeps going on. He says, um, a beautiful metaphor. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, the reason for that is because in Israel at the time, the sowing of the fields with was broadcasting the seeds just like that, you know, throw them out into the fields. And one person can throw out a lot of seeds in a short period of time. In a couple of days, you can do acres and acres. But those seeds grow up, you have wheat, and all they had was maybe a flint knife or a piece of sharpened iron. 
Uh, and all you can do is grab a handful and cut it off. So you can't go very fast. How, how many handfuls of, uh, of wheat can you get in a day? Not a, not a whole lot compared to what you can sow. So Israel always had a shortage of harvest workers. Uh, and so that's what Jesus uses as the metaphor. We have this vast field of people. Half of the country of Mexico is unchurched. So people are lost in darkness and lonely and uh, frustrated and angry, people with chips on their shoulders and just bitter. All those people. And it's a good harvest. They're out there. We want to harvest them, but they're not enough workers. So it's a beautiful idea that Jesus says that there's something worth gathering in. And we're the ones that have the privilege of doing that. Well, um, then he comes along with a passage that I think he needs some PR help with, um, public relations, because it sounds very quaint, maybe very sweet. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. But that's actually a very vicious, vicious um, image. Wolves in Israel, anywhere in the world, are not a happy, not a happy place to be. Four or five wolves, and you'd probably need eight or ten men to fend them off with fires and sticks and rocks. And wolves could come in, and, and you don't want to be in a pack of wolves, and you certainly don't want to be a lamb. But that's the degree of what Jesus is saying about cross-cultural work. When you go with your values, your understanding of the kingdom of God, and you talk to other people who have different values and a different understanding of the world, there can be pretty serious clashes. And Jesus doesn't um, back away from that. He thinks it's worth it. Now, how can you be a lamb among wolves? Well, I've seen it several times. Uh, one really vivid example for me was in uh, Cartagena. Uh, I was invited there to teach in a, in a kind of improvised seminary in a really tough neighborhood of Cartagena. And there are people passed out on the sidewalk and doing drugs and uh, alcoholics and just, it was just not a, a fun place to be. And I was kind of worried about, now how are we going to walk through this neighborhood? But this Christian woman with me, she was my guide, she had two bags, one bag with a Bible and one bag with um, corn, steamed corn, wrapped up in tin foil. And as we walked through those um, drug addicts, she would stop one person or another and said, Sweetie, have you eaten today? And she'd pull out uh, some of her corn and some mayonnaise and give it to this person. And she'd go to the next person, have you had enough to drink? And she'd pull out a glass, of, um, a bottle of water. And so she was literally a lamb among wolves, walking through a neighborhood that probably you and I would not want to walk through. But she knew how to walk through those folks and actually be a blessing to them. That's our task. Um, it's probably not a, a real comfortable place to be, but we can learn how to do that. We can learn how to walk among the wolves. Uh, and then uh, St. Luke, this very practical man, he reports that, that Jesus told them to take no purse or wallet or sandals. Now, that sounds like a kind of an interesting. Why would do that? And some people say, well, 
That's because of safety. If you have a wallet and a purse, then people want to rob you. But probably that's not the deal here. Uh, there's another passage where there is a bit of safety being presented. But here, um, a missionary in northern Mexico was very clear and to me, and I've seen it in other places, where missionaries will sometimes go to rural areas or um, Amazon or something like that, and they have uh, cell phones and laptop computers and maybe airplanes, and people start coming to the mission field or the mission station because of all this stuff that people have, and they, they're interested in the stuff. They're not so interested in the gospel. So if you go into a neighborhood and all you have is ordinary things that everybody else has, well, they're not going to be attracted to your extra um, purse, your wallet, your sandals, and things like that. All they're going to be interested in is just what you've got to say. And so Jesus is being very practical here and saying, all right, when you go to these places, don't get people distracted on, on other things that are, are of less importance. Uh, this came to me very clear with a, a pastor in Malaysia. Uh, he was a Presbyterian um, from Holland, and the Dutch were colonists in Malaysia for many years. And he had a little Presbyterian church on the corner of a big city. And I asked him, well, what is it like being a Presbyterian in a Muslim country? What's the biggest difficulty? And he told me, he said it was the prosperity gospel people. And I wasn't sure what that meant. And he said, well, people come and they rent a big hall and they have big loudspeakers and they say, come to Jesus. And in a year, you're going to have a Mercedes Benz, you know, or they prosperity. God wants you to be prosperous and have all kinds of stuff. And uh, then at the end of the year, they don't have their Mercedes. The people get angry. They walk away and they say, the Christians are liars. And you got this little church on the corner that's been there for 100 years, and he's been, the pastor's been faithfully working with the Muslim people. Every year, two or three families will convert, but it's a slow process. You can't do it fast overnight. It's a, you have to win people's trust, and that takes time, sometimes a whole generation. So um, this not taking... Um, uh, acute, um, acutiments or um, extra things. You don't have to, to get fancy. Um, some churches will um, begin bringing all kinds of clothes. They'll start a church giving out clothes, used clothes, used clothes, and people will come. When the clothes are gone, nobody stays around. So what he's, Jesus is saying, don't take any purse or anything like that. Uh, just take the word. That's what we want to get across to people. Now, here is a point that is uh, a bit about safety. It says, um, um, don't, don't, when you greet somebody on the side, don't stop to greet people. And that's not being to be rude. You can greet your friends if you know the person. But in those days, and in some rural areas today, when people transport is their, their own two feet, when you're walking down the road and you don't know the other people, you keep looking straight ahead and the other person looks straight ahead and you don't interact with them touch. Because it's part of the problem is uh, uh, safety and robbery. Uh, in those days, people wore long robes just like the Arabs do today. 
and you can't see what they have in their hands. The handshake we have is a custom of showing people that you don't have a weapon, so you don't have a knife. And when you show, you know, you make your handshake, well, that's, you're a person of peace. You know, you're okay. I'm not going to harm you. And so when he says, uh, don't greet other people on the side of the road, he's, in a way, he's kind of telling these 70 people, maybe they were kind of like city people that didn't know the rules of the road as well as they might. Uh, he's giving them good practical information about how to go about this, pro- this process of taking the gospel across culture and not, not greeting strangers uh, on the side of the road where you can talk and have a good conversation is in people's houses. And that's exactly where they go next. It says, whatever house you go into, first say, peace to the house, peace to this house, and anyone is there who shares peace, shares in peace, your peace will rest on them. The peace here that there, uh, is the Jewish peace. The word is shalom. It means completeness, fullness. And that's what the message of the kingdom of God is. We want you to be fulfilled, to be complete, to know who you are, that you're loved. Every hair on your head is blessed by God. That's the message we have to take. And we can take it to anybody who's brokenhearted, who's lonely, who's um, down on their luck. Um, we can take God's message. Hey, you are part of the harvest. You're, I'm called, you're called, we're all called to work and live together. So we're going to take the shalom of God to different houses, uh, cross-cultural houses. And that's, um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a wonderful gift that we have. We have good news to take to people in different places. And it can be anywhere in the world. It can be right here in, or in uh, someplace in Chiapas or in Oaxaca. Uh, now, it's interesting, he says, that when you go someplace, you, go, you stay in the same house. Again, practical information. The Benedictines have a vow of stability. And what it means is that when you enter a monastery, you stay there because in the early day of the monastic movement, Monks would go to wherever there was food, and whoever had a harvest, well, I'm going to go to that monastery. And then somebody else down the road has a better harvest, and they have apples, and I like apples, so let's go down there. And people would jump around according to wherever the best pickings were to be found. The same thing. If you go into a town, maybe the first house you get to is really poor, and they don't have much to eat. But two doors down the house, two doors down the Street, there's a guy who's got lots of food. Well, Jesus is saying, don't play that game. Whoever welcomes you, stay there. It's very practical. Um, and I think it's, it's good for us, too. When you start working with a person, and if you're going to disciple somebody, stay with one person. Two or three years, four years. Um, don't, let's say... Start working with a person that you're discipling. Oh, this is so difficult. This person is so unreasonable. This person is just impossible. And so you blow that person off and you go try to find somebody who's easier to work with. Well, Jesus is saying, don't do that. Stick with one person uh, and don't move on. Now, when you get to these houses, here's where we're going to see how Jesus is saying, I'm going to break some rules here. The Jewish culture was very insular. 
they had a very precise way of how they were going to live, and it included uh, their food. And obviously, the, the, the uh, Pharisees were very strict on their meals. But Jesus says, and Luke, who's a Gentile, he, he's on, totally on board with this, eat whatever is put before you. Now, remember, it's a, it's a multicultural place. You don't know what's going to be set before you, but he says, just enjoy what they serve. Don't put up barriers because it's not kosher. Now, that would probably get Jesus in a lot of hot water with the Pharisees, but he wasn't particularly concerned about that. He wants the message to get out, and out away from just the insular Jewish community. Eat whatever you've earned. And then right on back of that, he adds another um, cultural taboo. The Jewish people were very shy and stayed away from blood or disease. They thought that those things were of the devil. Something was wrong. There are lots of superstitions about um, illness in those days. You know, the, the lepers were quarantined at uh, 30, I think it was 30 paces or 20 paces. You weren't allowed to come. Uh, they had all kinds of different rules about different um, medical issues. And he says specifically, heal the sick. So you're going to be eating food that is probably going to break your cultural rules, and then you're going to be working with people who are sick. Again, breaking lots of cultural rules. Now, they weren't going to be medical doctors. Healing the sick may be just putting a cold compress on somebody with a fever or uh, giving them a cup of tea or just being with them when they feel miserable. But the idea of healing the sick was also a way of saying get involved in their life, not just talk, but in action. Uh, the the um, Middle East, there's a proverb that says, um, words without acts are like soft winds that do nothing. And so when you take the gospel message to other people, when we cross these cultural bounds, we share the gospel, but we also get involved and actually help in, in some kind of uh, diaconate or service ministry. So when Jesus says, heal the sick, that's what he's saying. Get in and, and get busy with that. And then there's a third place where Jesus breaks some of the rules because the Jewish people did not like to say the word God. The word God uh, in the second commandment which says, don't take the word, the name of the Lord in vain. So they were reluctant to say God. And if you notice in Gospel of Matthew, it says the kingdom of heaven. Where here, Luke doesn't, um, he doesn't change Jesus' word because he's talking to Gentiles. Matthew is being written to Jewish people, and he wants to explain to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And his point is get them to understand Jesus as the Messiah, but if he says the kingdom of God, then they're going to get all hung up and saying, Ah, oh, gosh, you're talking about God, isn't that against the rules? So he says the kingdom of heaven, which is what the Jewish people were accustomed to. Now, here he says the kingdom of God. The God is what the Gentiles would understand. And Luke, being a Gentile, he says exactly what Jesus says. We're going to take the kingdom of God to these people, these people who are lost and lonely and needing help. So 
here we have three different examples of eating food, healing the speak, healing the, the sick, and talking about the kingdom of God are all breakout movements from the Jewish world that Jesus was showing his disciples how to do. Now, the kingdom of God is literally a countercultural idea. No, it's a kingdom of where you live um, in an environment of the mystery of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is upon us. And we take that mystery and we uh, admire it, we, we relish it, we're surprised by it, we're blessed by it, and we take that and we put it into practice among people that are different cultures from us. So here's Jesus specifically teaching people how to be missionaries. Now, is it going to work all the time? No. First, because we're lambs among wolves, and that doesn't always work out as good. It's not a romantic things, but um, it says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet. It's obvious because in, those, in that culture, when you went to a house and you were welcome, they would wash your feet. And obviously, they didn't welcome you, so you still have dust on your feet. You just shake it off and you go on to the next one. Time and time again, Paul would go to one town, and if, it, if, the, if the town was blocked, he thought it was okay. The Spirit said, don't go here. I'll go someplace else. We go out and we talk to people. We share the gospel with them. Some people will become interested. Stick with them when they are and when they are not interested, what have you lost? The peace comes back to you. No, no hard feelings. We share the gospel. If people are responsive, we'll stick with them and help them go through the whole process until they understand that they're loved children of the Lord. And if they're not interested, somebody else will come along in a few weeks and a few months, and maybe they will be the next time. So what we do is we go and we teach and we harvest and we plant uh, and it's up to the Lord, you know, who responds. Our job is to be faithful. Our job is to go out and do it. So that's what I think um, you at First Church here are doing a good job. I know you're going to be enjoying a mission trip to Mexico soon. The ministries I've seen around here are awesome, the different, uh, different ministries you have going. <coughs> and so I'm, I'm pleased that we've been able to have this long association and I hope it continues many years more. And I hope that each of you understands that you're a missionary here. Everyone can disciple someone. It can be on video. Today, a lot of people are teaching English on video programming to China and Japan and places like that. And I've heard many people say, yeah, and we use the Bible as our English text. Oh, okay, well, that's interesting for, for some Japanese Buddhist or some uh, unchurched Chinese person. This might be the first time they've ever seen uh, the Bible. But they're allowed to do that on video. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, creative ways now that we can do this. So missions of the 70 is missions of First Presbyterian Church, and it's missions of every Christian everywhere. Just now, the Korean and Brazilian churches have more missionaries out even than Americans do. Uh, they have missionaries everywhere, and those are church plants from the United States. So our, um, our mission children now are sending out even more missionaries than we are. So that's something to, to celebrate. But 
the Lord is moving us here and First Church and all the Presbyterians in the United States get, get fired up. Jesus put a lot of emphasis into sending out missionaries, and I think we can too. Let us pray. Holy Father, we thank you because you've given us such practical examples of how Jesus sent out the 70 and how we are privileged to think of ourselves now as members of that mission team. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.